Welcome to ContraPulse. This is Julie Valamont. This week, we speak with fiddler, pianist, accordionist, and dance leader Doug Protzik. Doug has been a part of the main country dance scene for many years. He plays in the band Old Grey Goose, with which he has played many country dances and has toured the world as a musical ambassador for the U.S. State Department. Doug produced all three of their recordings, including the group's first recording in 1978 for Smithsonian Folkways, called Old Time Country Dance Tunes and Songs from Maine. On their 1980 album, Maine Country Dance Music and Song, there's a paragraph in the liner notes that describes their approach to dance music. They write, The idea of traveling around and playing music goes back to the days when earlier New England dancing masters traveled from town to town on foot, horse, or train, bringing with them their special music and dance. There was once a time in rural Maine when the Saturday night dance was as integral part of people's lives as raising their own food or haying their fields. People have always been geographically isolated in Maine, and the local dance was the one way they were sure to see each other and catch up on the local news. The contra dances, which make up a large part of the local dance repertoire, reflect this in their emphasis towards simplicity and social interaction. Doug is the director of Maine Fiddle Camp, which brings people of all ages and levels together for music, fun, and community. He's a big part of camp life, and with his endless enthusiasm, always proclaims that every session of Maine Fiddle Camp is the best one ever. Doug likes to play old-time piano accompaniment for dances, melodramas, honky-tonk saloons, and silent movies. He learned his style from Otto Soper, Geneva Walton, and Danny Pat, among many others. In our conversation over Zoom, Doug and I explore the culture and history of Maine's traditional music and dance scene. Doug shares his insights on the secret sauce that makes Maine Fiddle Camp such a unique and vibrant community, and his thoughts on how dance and music styles have changed and shifted over the years. He speaks with us from his home music room, complete with his squeaky office chair. And of course, he treats us to some tunes on the piano and button accordion. Hope you enjoy. Doug Protzik, and welcome to ContraPulse. Oh, well, thank you, Julie. It's nice to be part of this uh, effort that you're working on so hard. I am so happy to see you. This is so, I'm so honored to have you to talk with. Um, for, uh, a lot of folks know Doug as the director of Maine Fiddle Camp and one of the people who helps make Fiddle Camp happen. I also know you as a consummate multi-instrumentalist a person of endless enthusiasm about folk music and dance and community. And your enthusiasm is contagious. And already I'm excited just in the few minutes that Doug and I have been talking, kind of warming up for this interview. I'm already all jazzed up. So I'm very excited to get to hear from you. And it's funny because when we're at Maine Fiddle Camp together, it's a very busy place. There's hundreds of people, many things happening at once. You're riding your bike around trying to keep everything happening. And 
we never had time just to talk. And so there's a lot of things I don't know about your musical history and your stories and your background. And I'm just so excited to hear about some of that. So without any further ado, um, where shall we begin? I would just love to hear about your piano background and how you started playing for dances. Sure. That's a good place to start. Well, actually, um, uh, you know, when I was a, a very young child, uh, uh, really young, like four or five years old, the mu- music was just dying to come out of me. I don't even know where from particularly. And the first toy I, that my, I ever wanted was a drum, much to the horror of my mother. <laughs> I begged and pleaded her and she finally broke down and got me a drum, but she never got me any drum lessons. So it didn't go very far, but I had this music thing. And by the time I was five, uh, my older brother uh, was ready for piano lessons. And so I said, me too. That was being three years younger. Everything was me too. You know, like my, my older brother wants to do it. I go, me too. So I said, me too. And then she said, well, you're kind of young, five years old. And I go, me too, me too. And so I, I started and um, uh, in, enjoyed it, except I had this horrible teacher. <laughs> who uh-huh. was your, this, this goes back a long way. I, I'm no spring chicken, you know. And so back in the old days, the best you could do would be to, to, to have a piano teacher, which was usually some older person that was very scary to a five-year-old and was nothing but discipline and do as you're told and nothing about personal expression mm-hmm. or, or personal artistry. Uh, music lessons were based on classical approaches, which is do what you're told, do what the music says, do it precisely that way. No room for self-expression. And every time I tried to do it a little bit my own way, I'd get my hands slapped. And uh, I'd go over to my friend's house and kind of sit down at the piano and play some of these pieces I've been working on. Everybody would say, wow, that's great, Doug. And I just play away and have fun. Then I go home and I never got away with it. It it was terrible. It ruined my whole attitude towards playing music. And so after about five years of it, I just begged and pleaded my folks, please, I know I'm doing well and blah, but I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to play music like this. No fun. But I continued to listen to all kinds of music. And then later on got influenced by uh, friends in junior high and high school older friends who uh, were more uh, immersed in the arts and got me interested in listening to a wide variety of music. And then I got my, a really good stereo and, and never really dreamed of myself, even in high school era, as playing anymore. But I had this love of music. And so I listened to music endlessly and had a great record collection. Then in late um, or last couple of years of high school and into college, I started to meet people that were playing folk music. And where did you go to college? uh, Antioch College. Oh, uh, lovely. Yeah, which is very liberal kind of college with all kinds of wonderful influences uh, musically. I took some piano lessons there and met folk musicians Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sort of rock and rollers sitting in the dorm room playing guitar. And, and that I, so in doing that, I saw, the joy of playing music yeah but not like reading it and not having to do it a certain way but just self-expressing and i said now that's the kind of music i want to i want to do and so i decided to 
take up music again. Uh, and I started playing guitar because uh, it was like a folk scene. And then later on, I, I met more friends. And, 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 you know, since I was a novice, I was very uh, inspired to get better uh, as, as much as possible. So by going to parties and jam sessions, there was music. Uh, there was always more experienced musicians. And so I just like worked at absorbing what they were doing and getting inspired. I always think that inspiration is so important. You need inspiration to know where you want to go with your music. Without that, you don't have that. That's why I think like Mang Fiddle Camp is so good. It shows people a context of what you can do with music and how much fun it can be. And I had never experienced that until, you know, college era and a little bit of high school of that kind of freedom. And that I really got hooked on playing and I, I wanted to like get good at playing guitar. And, and so I worked at that and then I started meeting some other musicians and then the idea of playing mandolin and then um, became, came along with an idea of sort of melody. And then, um, and then uh, along with uh, Elaine Malkin and I, we both moved to Maine and, and we were both very much interested in uh, folk music and Elaine was, had played classical music and she picked up the fiddle. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, she picked up fiddling from her classical background. Uh, uh, she also played guitar and, 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 and sang folk songs and, and was an influence on me as well in that sense. And so, uh, so I started to play mandolin and then, and then some fiddle. But at that point, we, uh, we were living in Maine and, and we were trying to develop our skills. And uh, we, we met a John Gawler mm. uh, through a mutual friend and started a band called the Pine Hill Band. Now, John Gawler, we were looking for a banjo player. I was playing guitar and mandolin and, and some fiddle. Elaine was, was focusing totally on the fiddle. So we needed a banjo player, we thought. And so we met John Gawler up in Belgrade. And we formed this band and, and we started to be a band going out and playing really Southern old timey fiddling because fiddle music and old time, Southern old time music songs, because that's what everybody was doing back then. This is like in the early seventies. Mm -hmm. That's all of the music that sort of the state of the art um, folk music scene had gotten to at that point was sort of, you know, Pete Seeger. And then, then all of a sudden there was going back even further into these Southern old time fiddle stuff going into that. And, and that's where all the field recordings were. And that's where our resources were. So we, we did that other bands, like a, a person that's influenced me a lot is Greg Boardman. He was playing with a band called the Northern Valley Boys and they were playing bluegrass as well as a little bit of old time. We didn't really do bluegrass. We did kind of focused on the old timey stuff because John Goller was really immersed in that with the banjo. And so we kind of followed that type of repertoire, worked on that type of repertoire. And then around, uh, you know, 73 or so, we, we've been doing that for a while. And then we started to say, well, wait a minute. Why are we playing music from traditional old time fiddle music from, from like North Carolina or Virginia or something? Why we should be like looking at the learning the music where we live, the, the culture around us. And and so we started to look around and and realized that there was a really great musical tradition for fiddling and everything. 
that was in our region. Um, it was more Canadian influence, though, and, and New England. Um, and it was totally different than the old southern old-time music. It was much more similar to the way the jigs and reels were played in, in, in Scotland and Ireland and England uh, before people even came to North America. And so in the north, it, Northeast, it was uh, kind of uh, preserved in a, in a more uh, traditional way. And so even though some of the tunes had the same name and came from the same Irish background, it was a totally different form. And yeah. one of the big differences was in the North, they played jigs. And <laughs> I, I have yet to really find anything in the old recorded archive old time music of the South that mm -hmm. represented the jig rhythm. Mm -hmm. And so that became very exciting. A whole new, a whole new fiddle realm of music to explore and stylistically too. And so, and yet it didn't seem like anybody around was paying attention to that, that, you know, that it was all, you know, bluegrass or old time music with big festivals around and, and that's what was going on. And, and, and there wasn't anything that we could find that was comparable for this type of music. So we went and out into the, uh, into the willy wax to find the old timers that used to play this music and found out that they played for dances. And, and then they'd say, well, we used to do these dances, you know, when we had a band, a couple of the, of the bands were still going by then. Mm -hmm. And so we went to see what, what the, what the, what the deal was. And, uh, and it, it, it was really fun, we, but we didn't quite understand how we could necessarily make a go of it. Uh, there was just these old timers. They were, half the time they were playing foxtrots and waltzes, and then they do an occasional contra dance. And so mm -hmm. we were trying to figure out, well, how how is this going to work? We were getting tired of like playing bar gigs. The, that, that wasn't going nowhere and cigarette smoke and everything. Ah, it, 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 the whole scene was kind of uh, and then we go to play in a bar and you go to play some Downey's jig medley and everybody, was, you know, uh, say, right. what the heck is that? You know, I never heard that. So uh, we, we needed an audience for our music and we didn't know really what to do. And so right around 73, 74, somewhere in their range, um, we saw in the newspaper that this guy named Dudley Loffman was coming to Bowdoin College to play uh for an old time country dance with a, a but with a, on a, a button accordion. And you go, wow, this sounds jigs and reels, they said. said jigs and reels dancing. Ah, this must be what we maybe we're looking for. So we went there, uh J John, Elaine, and I, and then Greg Borman on his own had heard about it and he showed up there too. Because he was getting tired of the bar scene and the bluegrass, and he was starting to get into our regional music as well but didn't know what to do with it either because it was dance music. And so we didn't know how to get the dances. And so uh, we went to Dudley's dance and there's Dudley playing and calling, playing the accordion, calling out. And we danced and it was like, Oh my goodness, this is so much fun. This is so cool. This dancing is so cool. The way the dances go with the music is so cool. The way you play and call, we have to learn all that. We have to do that right away. And so we just said, we've figured it out. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to, we're going to revive the old time country dances here in Maine somehow. 
And and so uh, we had already been learning the music from the old timers. Um, and, uh, and now we had seen how you can run a dance by calling out the dances and getting people organized to dance to the jigs and reels that we wanted to play. And if we could run our own dance, then we could have our, our way of, uh, you know, making a part of our living with our music and keep it move going and also have a community and a connection with people. So right. uh, by golly, out of whole cloth, we, we started uh, up a dance scene in, in Maine and uh, a public dance scene. Um, and just over time that, that grew, this, this was like in 74, 75. And, and then by 78, everything was going great guns. There were already like three or four other bands and other dances going. And of course this was going on tremendously in other parts of New England, um, this revival scene. When we first heard the Phoenix All-Star String Band recording, ah. that was that was huge influence. And, and we heard uh, uh, Rodney Miller's Castles in the Air. Oh, huge, huge musical influence because he was playing that exact repertoire. And then, then we learned about Don Messer and, uh, and, and, and Melly Dunham, Maine's famous fiddler. And so we started to get more and more background of and and tune styles by listening to all these different down east fiddlers from we call we ended up calling it down east style, but really what in our mind what it represents is sort of like starting with the way the Mainers played it, but then it expands out into the maritimes of Canada and Quebec, and it also includes not only the Scotch and Irish tradition, but the way the French Canadians evolved the music in their in their own style, now referred to as Quebecois music, uh, but back then we just called it Franco-American music, and a and a big influence on that, and I think this was in the late '70s again, was uh, the Baudouin family from Vermont came out with a, a seminal recording, and uh, and later on from Quebec La Boutine Surian. Mm -hmm. came out with so now we had a we, now we had a a a uh, a description of the kind of music that we wanted to focus on for the dances uh we wanted it to represent all of the different influences that we had found out about that created this um uh, amalgam of this blend of musical styles and dances uh in in maine and uh uh, and then we learned which of the dances were the most popular of the contra dances that were the most popular uh, as well. So we uh, in Maine at the dances, like Lady of the Lake, for example, was always done at all the dances. And uh, so we incorporated that, that into our dance. So that in a nutshell is how it all got started. And, and then uh, once it got rolling, we created this... Uh, a great dance in Bodenham at the Bodenham Town Hall and did that for about 25 years uh, and uh, created sort of a, a unique style uh, from that 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 uh, represented what we were looking for. Uh, over time, things kind of changed and uh, the dance scene sort of changed. And uh, but uh, we always stuck with our musical, same musical approaches, um, which was uh, we'd always want to have 
uh, at a dance, we'd always want to make sure that we covered a lot of, of, all, of all the bases uh, musically. And, uh, and so we would, we would carefully select dances too that would, uh, uh, I mean, tunes that would go with particular dance that we would be calling. A couple of us took on the job of playing and calling. We didn't even consider the idea of just being a caller. That wasn't, mm. we, that, that didn't even, to us, it, it, that didn't count because we had seen what Dudley did and that was right. our standard. And Dudley so, would sit on stage and play and call the dance at the same that's time. That's right. And if you were going to call the dance, you had to lead it with your instrument. Right. And as well, lead the band just because that's what Dudley did. So we we didn't think of any other way to do it. And that's what the old timers talked about quite often is the, you know, the itinerant fiddler caller that would go around. And then a lot of the dance, old time dances we went to, they didn't even have a caller because they did the same two or three country dances every night. And then mm -hmm. when the fiddler started to play a, a jig or a reel, everybody just jumped up and just started to do Lady of the Lake or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, or some somebody somebody was a, a host or something might say time for lady of the lake or something and and people would just do it so when we started up our dances uh that was our approach and so our original posters <clears throat> were we didn't we didn't call what is now called contra dancing that's not what we call it and to this day i don't call what we do that I know that everybody else does, and, and the theme of this is contra dancing. But to me, there's two other terms that I would much rather see represented, and uh, and this is what we always tried to represent, and that's right, we call it old time country dancing or community dancing. We never, if you're going to do a little local community thing, and it's going to be for families and. The, we, we call community dances uh, dancing, uh, and there was that those community dance manuals. I don't know if you're familiar with that mm -hmm. publication, but that was a great resource, along with the country dance book. Um, that was a, a, an important resource for us, you know, in terms of a book to refer to, and and the kind of classic New England dances and tunes that are represented in that. Those were sort of our our focus. So in our original posters, we would say, we would say old time country dance, but then we would have, we would list all the different dances that we would do. And uh, they would be contras, of course, mm -hmm. but then I would also say we'd do squares and then circles. And then we also, because this is what the Mainers did when we went, we also did couples dances of waltz, polka, shoddish, because there's the Scandinavian influence in the fiddling that we learned from Melly Dunham. So we wanted to get in some of that Scandinavian feeling. And the shoddish was a unique tempo and musical style to represent that. And, and, uh, and the foxtrot, mm -hmm. which, which to this day, I still am trying to get people to understand why the foxtrot was so popular for 50 years. No one refers to that term anymore either. They call it swing dancing. And they sort of do this swing dance, but, but the foxtrot came before the swing dance and it's essentially the same gimmick, but 
it is a different form where you're more instead of dancing away from your couple station from your partner in a stationary position you're moving around the dance floor in counterclockwise ballroom direction just like all the other couples dances the waltz and the polka and the shottish and uh, so but it's essentially the same thing and 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 represents the same musical style so we we really wanted to represent all those dances and the music that would be appropriate for those styles so mm -hmm. we took that very seriously and then we wanted to be able to show people rudimentarily how to do some of the couples dances but actually what we found out was is that all it took was one or two experienced dancers to get things going and then everybody would just sort of follow in by watching them and pretty soon everybody's polkaing or waltzing or uh, or shottishing or whatever because there was a few people matter of fact when we first started our dances uh we we uh one of the best halls we ever started was the pineal band in bodenham and we had the crowds from bates college which had sometimes gotten Dudley Lofman to go the, to, to do a few things a couple times a year, maybe once or twice a year for the students and the faculty that knew about the dancing. And then, and then uh, Bowdoin College. And so Bowdoin has kind of right in between those two. So we had these like college professors and, and, and college students who were somewhat interested in this to help get us get the, the dance started because some of the people had quite a bit of dance experience from that as well as others so that gave us a little bit of a core and then we just did posters and advertising in a very basic way started up a newsletter which uh eventually became the uh, uh the defa newsletter but we had the main country dance orchestra newsletter uh after we formed a a, a large group for a monthly dance in bodenham and it promoted all the other bands uh dances as well um and it sort of kind of grew from there but it, it's had its peaks and valleys but <clears throat> we kept with that formula for the longest time but after a while the more con contracentric style from away sort of took over here in maine as people moved from away came to maine and 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 they sort of brought that con contracentric and caller centric approach uh, for example, musically, we wanted to lead our dances in the best way was through the music, we thought, not mm -hmm. through somebody barking out calls that that you get people to follow the music and listen to the music and keep the dances relatively simple enough so it's not too mentally challenging. So you can stop calling and get into the real magic of it in my mind is where the dancers and the music become like a, a singular entity kind mm -hmm. of, and, and they feed off of each other. And, and so that's where it was really important for us to make sure that we had the right kind of music to go with the, the dance that we were doing. And, and by being the caller and the musician, we were in a particularly really good position to do that. And then over the years, too, there, there, there are dances that had specific music that would go with them traditionally, like Petronella or Hull's Victory. Uh, and so we would always play those tunes that went with the traditional 
dance, uh, and uh, sometimes we uh, do a medley, though. Uh, but uh, we would we would want to also try to get um, within the framework of of the of the kind of um, musical realm that we wanted to explore. We wanted to get as much variety within that, so we started to understand that there were more than one way, more than one than than two types of dance of fast dance tunes, for example, mm -hmm. uh, in our region. Uh, for example, uh, we got jigs and reels, but there's actually and jigs are in six eight, and then reels are two four or four four, however you decide to write it. But but those are your two basic types of fast dance tunes mm -hmm. and the the jig has that six that three beat of one two three one two three one two three one two three and 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 a reel has the two beat of one two one two one two one two one two the interesting thing though is if, if you tap your foot if, if, if you have a contra beat the jig is exactly the same one two three four five six one two three four five six and the reel is one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. But notice the beat is the same. The fundamental beat is the same for a jig and reel. That's a jig. Here's a reel. The same. And and a lot of the old timers couldn't even tell the difference between a jig and a reel because they were uh -huh. completely, completely uh, untrained. And so a lot of times they, they would, a lot of jigs were called reels, a lot of reels were called jigs, because really because that beat. And so the biggest difference right away when we realized there was this whole different musical style that we wanted to dedicate our rest of our lives to, because we were planning on living in Maine the rest of our lives and in this region. So here was a real chance to really dedicate and the biggest difference compared to all the old recordings and all the old string band stuff we listened to, and then we went and heard stuff from Don Messer, and then we heard stuff from the old timers like Otto Soper that we'd go and visit, and he would give us, mentor us, and tell us these great stories of all the old dances and how there were fights all the time and everything. And, and uh, But the biggest difference was there's a piano mm -hmm. in the old southern recordings they never had a piano
But the biggest difference was there's a piano. Mm -hmm. In the old Southern recordings, they never had a piano. At, at, a, at a Northeast Fiddle Tunes uh, Festival uh, a number of years ago, uh, I was there on staff. It's, I don't know if you're familiar. You must be familiar with that festival in Port Townsend. Yeah. It's yeah, lovely. oh, they had some wonderful dancing and music there. It was great. They invite all these fiddlers of different styles from all over North America. So I'm there hanging out with some legendary Southern old time musician, you know, and, I, and I'm and I'm asking him, a uh, real old fellow, I don't remember his name, it was a long time ago. I asked him, I said, hey, how come there, there, there's, there aren't any recorded, there's no piano in the, in the Southern old time music or anything? And he says, he goes, well, he says, they're, I played plenty of dances with a piano. He said, but, but when some of those original recordings were made, they went into the big city to make the recording. Mm. And the big city recording people said, oh, well, no, we, don't, we want real hillbilly music. We don't want any piano. We just want all <laughs> strings, you know? <laughs> and so they just dropped the piano because, I don't know, they, whatever. They just wanted real, real sounding authentic like up in the hills and you know and, and so uh but in any case whatever the reason is the idea of playing piano in the folk music construct never had occurred to me i was playing hmm. guitar mandolin and fiddle wow and and all of a sudden whoa so all our mentors um uh, played piano the, at the old dances they all had piano don Mezer had a famous piano player Waldo Monroe, and they all played what I call the old-time piano style. And all of a sudden, I'm introduced to this whole deal of an old-time piano style that essentially I saw it as folk piano, mm -hmm. even though I, that kind of hadn't really, term hadn't really applied anywhere. It just struck me as like, this is what the style is. And I started to study it like a madman because there was nobody else around playing piano. And I had all this early piano lessons, but then I had learned, you know, the way how to play by ear and how to play chords and how to back up fiddle tunes and the chords and everything. And so it was just like, I, I with knowing all that and then my piano background, it was really logical for me to jump right in heavy duty at taking over that role because there was nobody else doing that. There were fiddlers all over the place, wannabe fiddlers all over the place and guitar players and mandolin players and banjo players. There was nobody playing the piano, at least here in Maine at the time or anything like that. And, and there was no like piano and fiddle sound that people had been listening to until we started to listen to these other bands, these Canadian bands and everything else. And so I just dove into the piano uh, mm -hmm. at, from, from two perspectives. One was to play for dances. And the other thing was to develop the concept of the old time piano playing. Because the old time piano player and that style was popular, I would say from like 1870s to, to 1930s or so. And then the big band and the more modern sounds and piano playing consequently, be, the old time style became totally obsolete and nobody was playing it anymore. 
by the 1950s, except maybe a few ragtime players. And so I realized that uh, that ragtime, that like saloon hall playing, that 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 the, uh, uh, these these old melodrama songs and 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 um, uh, silent movie playing, um, all those things were, and playing for dances, were all jobs from an old time piano player. So I said, well, someday I'm going to learn all of those jobs, but I'm going to start by learning how to back up fiddle tunes for dances. Uh, and then I'll, I'll work on all the other stuff later uh, or in at the same time. So one of the things I did was I started to study Scott Joplin music, which is totally definitive version of uh, old time music, except it's got that ragtime feel and syncopation. Right. And by the way, uh, all of Scott Joplin's ragtime music was dance music. It wasn't sitting around and listening music. It was always dance music. And it frustrated him when people played it too fast and turned it into a showpiece. And so half the time he would write up at the top, he says, you know, played as a slow, as a slow foxtrot, you know, you know, in other words, don't don't turn it into a wild, you know, it's, it's dance music, you know, and that's part of the old time style of piano playing is it's dance music. So it has that left hand thumping away constantly stride piano. It's sometimes called, I just call it the old time piano where the left hand is playing bass notes and, and, and rhythm. So for the you got to know the chords and then the right hand is playing melodies and harmonies. And that's the old time style. And when it got really syncopated, uh, you could call it ragtime. Um, but you can you can play jigs that way. You can play all the dance tunes that way. And uh, and they did like in the saloons and the brothels where this style was developed. Uh, the, the piano player had to be a whole band dance band all by himself. And so that's where that style developed. In the I think that's one I've, I've read where the depression caused people so much distress that they stopped solo gigs and hired bass players because everybody needed a gig or something. Anyway, that idea of the solo piano player thing stopped. And uh, and it was in its heyday in the 20s too, uh, during all the wonderful foxtrots and, and wonderful music of the 20s and that traditional sort of jazz era as well. And the, the old time piano players used to have piano competitions and they were always based on the power of the left hand not yeah. the right hand, the left right. hand, because they wanted that bass. They wanted that sound. They wanted that dance music. That's and you the propulsion. Got to, and you got to have that strong bass for dance. Yeah. You got to have that. You've got to pound the beat. That's what people dance to, right? Is the beat. They step to the beat and they got to find the beat. And that's what dancing is. That's really what, what uh, contra dancing, square dance, all. All of these dances is that everybody is stepping to the beat and there's exactly a certain number of beats through a tune. And so if everybody's stepping to the beat, they're all dancing together. That togetherness of dancing together to me is the total magic of it all. That, yep. that, that, that there's, I'm always saying there's nothing in our modern culture that expresses or gives people a chance to socially listen to music and dance together and actually relate to each other, actually touch each other, actually look into each other's eyes, actually 
physically hold and dance with each other with all in a certain way, even though it's open to personal expression, it's still, it's still controlled and confined by the beat and the number of steps in each, in, in, in each figure that, that is, goes along. And so it's, to me, it's like a, 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 we, we sort of stumbled on this, on this musical and dance formula of, 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 of having the structure of the tune and the structure of the dance but within that structure, keeping everybody together, there's room for a lot of self-expression and yeah. in the dancing as well as in the music. And then the, actually, the, 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 if you do the music, you can like inspire the dancers. And sometimes the dancers can even inspire the music. I remember one time we, we did a, a, a chorus jig. There's a good one. It's, it's a, called chorus jig, but it's a real. Um, we were doing chorus jig with the tune and everything, and and we did that we did that a lot back then. You know, nowadays people would 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 say, "Oh, that's that's boring," but um, because it doesn't have a lot of fancy figures and everything. But that's not what we were after at all. We 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 wanted a basic dance that was fun and simple, and people get into it and. And then not have to call it out so much, but let the music take over. So I'll never forget this one night we're playing away as chorus jig, and we played it. We played nothing but chorus jig, no medleys. A lot of times we just play one tune, have fun with it, vary it, do do fun stuff, but kick the one tune so that we just, everybody stays focused on it. Dudley does that a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we weren't against medleys. Sometimes do medleys. We also weren't against playing one tune, the whole, the same tune all the way through for dance. No problem. That's just as good as a fancy medley in our mind. Maybe even better. So anyway, we do chorus jig, which seemed to be an endless amount of time. And the dancers were dancing, and we had long stopped calling. We were just wailing away on the tune. Yeah. So finally, we just ended with a big flourish. And the dancers were just so into it, they just... They just kept on dancing, <laughs> and they just danced away. Just, uh, and we just sat there and just smiled, because because they felt everything so well that that, yeah. that 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 they didn't need anything more than at that point just the fundamental beat. It had gotten so much fun for them doing this, you know, so-called simple traditional dance. They they really got it, you know. Um, because to me, the, 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 the that's what's really fun is that you don't want to have to think too much, and and if the dances get too complex, if even the music gets too out there, it, it's going to be harder for people to relate to and 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 find the beat and comfortably dance to it. And uh, another thing that that has always been important to me is to make the music and the dance accessible to everybody. If your agenda is to have one super duper contra after another with lots of figures, it's just really hard for other people who to, to, to learn, come in and not feel overwhelmed. And then there's like a huge amount of the population that would just love, I think, to go out for an evening and for a nice social occasion 
but not to have to think their brains out. Maybe, yeah. even, maybe even go into the, you know, at the halftime and, and, and have a little alcoholic drink or something, you know, and not have to come back and like think your brains out, you know? So I've always been an advocate of the, of the music to be the inspiration and, and to have it sort of open everybody. So I think the best dance tunes are the more basic and more simple ones. And, uh, but within that construct, you can also make sure that the tune fits the dance and that also that you, that you give people a variety of the, of the, of the music. So for example, I, I mentioned, you know, we got jigs and reels. Well, there's actually a whole bunch of different types of jigs in a way, you know, I mean, first of all, you can just talk about whether it's major or minor, you know, that'll make a big difference. And then, um, there's sort of different stylistics of uh, of jigs. Uh, there's a a, a quadro uh, marchy jig style mm -hmm. uh, in 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 Quebec. Uh, uh, Gabriel Labay, I just love his harmonica playing uh, with the way he expresses the danceability of the tunes. Uh, he specializes in that particular style and it's and and it's a it's really a march in six eight time mm -hmm. but it's still technically a jig because it's in six eight actually susa wrote traditional military marches or you know the the real march susa type marches some of those were in six eight time it's not that unusual to have a six eight march uh but it creates a whole completely different six eight feeling so it's the same tempo and the beats always is, is pretty much the same. I mean, unless, you know, you're playing slower for beginners or, or, you know, you want to slow it down for a certain feeling, but it, it, it's really, it, the dance beat is the dance beat. And so these marchy jigs, but if you play a marchy jig, uh, it's going to sound a lot different than some old uh, Irish jig in a minor key because a lot of these mm -hmm. uh, 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 quadrille marches are sort of in real bright major keys and stuff. So, uh, and then you've got your um, this Quebecois style of uh, jig I've noticed lately, uh, where um, it's it's actually a relatively new or maybe it's based on an old style, but there's been a lot of newer compositions um, mm -hmm. where there's longer notes. It isn't just da 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 da. You know, it's more like da 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 da. A little bit more marchy, but not marchy. It's kind of in between. Anyway, we we would identify all kind of different types of jigs, and then make sure that we had those represented when we played it. When we go to play a jig, when we play we play jigs and reels almost like 50-50 throughout the night for fast dance tunes. Maybe if, if there were seven dances, maybe four of them would be reels and three would be jigs. But but it wasn't like, you know, we never, like some uh, dance bands, you know, don't play jigs at all, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I've even seen people sort of put the idea of jigs down as sort of like, ah, oh, they're, they're no fun, but they don't, they don't get it at all. They it, don't no, get it. They don't get, for one thing, I mean, there's, you know, it's it, not now, technically speaking, since a jig is in six, eight and a, and a reel, you could say it's an eight, eight in a sense. So uh, in a jig, you got 
you know, six quarter note possibilities, and it really you've got a per measure, and a jig you've got eight quarter notes possibilities, twenty five percent more notes. So, <laughs> so per measure with the same beat. So right. you are so as a general rule, if it's a notey reel, it's going right. to have a, more notes per measure than a jig. But That's right. the, to me, the number of notes in the dance to matter of fact, if there's too many notes, too many ornaments, too many, it ceases to be a really classic old time country, New England style dance tune. It's right. like, like some of these Irish reels they play now are just, they're so ornamented and everything from like the Clare, Clare County. They're very just slow and lilting. And I wouldn't really want to play that style. Uh, um, uh, well, uh, the reels in particular are that way. But then in the reels, we would always, you'd always have your, your sort of your classic uh, reel, uh, like Miller's reel or something like that. But, uh, or, you know, like Ragtime Annie or just uh, any sort of classic uh, reel type thing that people think of a reel. But there in New England, there was a, a different thing that we noticed. Um, they were called hornpipes. But they were played like reels. And the only thing I can think of is that when, when, the, when the Irish hornpipe, which represents a sort of slow lilting rhythm, you know, you know, it's just, it's, it's sort of a, it's actually, it's the same, it's the same dance rhythm as a shottish is. Uh, to me, that you got jigs and reels, and then you got like this slow lilting thing mm -hmm. and 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 in ireland they're called barn dances and 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 slow hornpipes and and in 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 uh scandinavia they're called shottishes and, and, and it's just a, a much slower beat um and a whole different lilting feel to them but but oh in in canada they call them clogs they have all these very or very ornate clogs but they're meant to be played sort of uh, uh, in that lilting thing. Uh, the Scottish have a stress bay that mm -hmm. sort of represents that. So though that rhythm doesn't come into play unless you're doing in, in old at our dances, unless you were doing a, a playing for a shotish. Otherwise, it's just the same tempo of jigs and reels. And um, so, uh, but there was the fast hornpipe. So they would they would take these old hornpipes and they turn them into reels. But when you mm -hmm. take a hornpipe and you turn it into a reel, it has and you speed it up like that, it has a different feel to it. Absolutely. And so, so we would like we might do a medley. We we might someone you know like I might jump up and say, all right, let's. I'm gonna call the next dance. Let's have a a medley of classic down east hornpipes, and then we we pick some like uh, lamp lighters. Devil's Dream is a classic example. People call it a reel, but it's actually a, a fast hornpipe. It's got a lot of back and forth and ratty tatty. There's not much slurring. It's just a, a different different feel to it. Um, you know, it, it took us years to sort of develop this. And uh, I'm forgetting the, the fellow's name, but um, we worked with him a couple of times. He was a, a dance caller that moved to Maine and ran the dance in Whitefield for a while. Um, anyway, when we, his name will come to me. Yeah. Uh, he's passed away, but uh, 
he uh, reinforced what we were talking about because uh, he is a dance caller. At that point, he was a dance caller, but he really knew the music really well and would craft the dances that he would call to a certain type of music. And he had this, he had the same categories that we had come upon. And so when we first time we met him and played for, with dance for him, uh, he would say, how about a, 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 some fast hornpipes a la Devil's Dream or something? And we'd say, ah, yeah, we know what you mean. You know, he was very happy that we understood and had the repertoire to represent what he was looking for. He's one of the few people that I run into that really recognized uh, those subtle differences and wanted to make sure that their their musical program for the dance represented all those different ones. And then you got your minor uh, reels as well. And uh, so, uh, and then you've got, you know, like uh, French Canadian reels that are really, you know, kind of stylistically and was sort of composed. Uh, uh, we learned some of those uh, from uh, the Baudoir family and then later on Simon St. Pierre. Um, uh, uh, like, um, oh, and then, and then you've got, uh, we, we, we sometimes call them, um, well, they were, uh, sort of a chunky reels, I guess that's what we uh -huh. chunky reels. And, and what they, what they were really, I think I, I'd rather, and sometimes we call them like polka-esque reels. So you can have a reel that's kind of polka-esque. And, and then to describe the difference between a reel and a polka is really interesting, but there is sort of, but I don't want to, you know, it's like you could even demonstrating, but there is sort of a difference, you, you know, as a, a real straightforward reel reel, as, a, as opposed to a polka-esque reel. And then as opposed to a chunky reel, they're all, the chunky reel and the polka-esque reel are kind of in the same general category. But in the same general category, and even more specifically, it's what I call the down east two steps. Mm -hmm. And there, there's your really, to me, that's your really sweet spot of, of, of music where, you know, it, it doesn't have too many notes and it has a real great dancing dance feel because I think it's important from a dance point of view to have the dancers lock into the tune. Absolutely. As much as quickly as possible, so they can dance to the music, not to somebody calling out a bunch of calls. They're there to dance to the music, and 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 so you have to get the music out there in a way that they can understand it. That's why that's where the piano became like really an essential component, because in 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 our bands, uh, it held everything down and gave it that beat that. Um, that that everybody dances for and holds the whole band together uh that way and uh so the piano always had to have the beat whether it was just accompanying or sometimes like i would then go into like accompaniment with the left hand and then play the melody for a little bit for variety uh for the at the dance and and then would add another whole tone sometimes i go way way up uh to the a higher range and then really the piano sound would pierce all the way through the yeah. hall because nobody nobody would be playing way up there and it would just cut right through but i always the piano player always had to hold the beat down though too you couldn't just have fun with the melody and not provide the core at least that was the standard that i went by that that all the old timers did and 
if you look at old uh, uh, footages of Don Messer's band in Waldo Monroe, you, you, you hear and see him doing exactly that. And that's what a lot of the old timers that, that, that we were uh, mentoring under, they listened to Don Messer's radio program. Don Messer grew up right near Maine in, in, in New Brunswick and, and kind of took that, represented that Downey style that I'm talking about um, and, and, and crystallized it. And, and, and then in the Canadian broadcasting system, his tunes went out through all of Canada. So they played Don Messer style tunes even way out in Western Canada because they all were immersed in the same sort of tradition. I, and I always wondered too, I feel sort of lucky living in, in Maine because we were so close to Canada and Canada is really where this music was kept alive. Mm -hmm. our, our United States, our country of the United States culturally um, didn't get immersed in this, in this kind of music. Uh, and, but in Canada, they did. And uh, so in our initial uh, development, we sojourned our way up into Canada and got, uh, you know, classic tunes and classic uh, inspiration from up there. Um, so many great fiddlers uh, and access to their recordings have become a lot uh, more interesting. And so over the years with Fiddle Camp, as I've collected a lot of a lot of this classic music and has presented it. Uh, for learning tunes at, at Fiddle Camp. And some of this we'll have playing in the background at some point uh, here. But uh, uh, that's one of our goals at Maine Fiddle Camp is to, is to make sure that this, this longstanding tradition uh, of, of music keeps going. So mm -hmm. anyway, getting back to the different types of music, the, another thing that we would like to do that would that would really kick everything in gear would be to go from a start the tune off with a jig and then break into a reel just Ooh. boom and whoa it would just if you had the right jig going into the right reel with maybe a key change or something like that especially you know that that's that that was a, a really great gimmick and then um another cool gimmick is to um if you have a tune that has a uh an unusual chord, maybe a modal chord or, or, or some dramatic chordal moment um, that you, uh, you can use that as a tool to sort of get the, get the dancers fired up and the band. Uh, yeah. One thing is do like, uh, like uh, for a particular chord progression or something, do like what, I, what we call power chords, which is just, you know, kind of just boom, 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 you know, just, just the fundamental like that. Um, but another cool thing would be to like, like uh, if there was some sort of, especially if there was an unusual chord change or something going on, we would then play a different chord for that chord. And, and, the, and one of the gimmicks there is that uh, you, you, you find an associated um, chord that has maybe one of the notes you know, like you've got a primary note that you, that that begs for a chord, and and the normal chord fits that note, but then you find a, a, some other oddball chord that has that note in it, but That's you know right. it's in a different key and whatever, and you intersperse that in there. So musical gimmicks like that, uh, 
you know, the change of jig to a reel and, and oddball chords and power chords. Um, another gim a musical gimmick that was always fun was um, we called it the orchestra ending. It's really the old Scottish gimmick of, you know, at the end of the tune, that is up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the old big ending uh, gimmick. And uh, that's always fun. It also was kind of good to sort of let the dancers know that everything's ending and give them a, a nice way to go out. And uh, so, uh, uh, so we, we, we want to make sure that we get a, as much variety of the music. And then in the old days too, we would, we would sometimes sneak in a, uh, a medley of Southern old time tunes mm -hmm. just for variety. But I can't say that we really played them like Southern old timey music necessarily. We, we had to contraize it or right. get it, get it so that it was, you know, at the right beat. And I, I think a lot of the Southern old timey tunes are, are really played more like um, a, uh, a regular down east tune, sort of straighter. You know, it doesn't have all those syncopations and 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 that sort of expression, different kind of expression that a lot of those. And they they say that a lot of that came from the banjo that the fiddle emulated the banjo, and that's what created that Southern old timey fiddle sound. a little bit about the your dance choices and i yep. love hearing like all your gimmicks and the way you think about tunes and everything you know if you see a dudley dance i don't know would dudley do something like a jig to a reel did you folks no he wouldn't that? he wouldn't yeah. 
no, we don't. We didn't necessarily, you know, copy Dudley exactly. Exactly. Well, that's what. I, and and I, th- I, I, I'm all for innovation. Uh, yeah. But uh, and 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 we we did we we we've been uh, in the past of the like in terms of innovation. I've I've uh, uh, written tunes and written dances to go with those tunes. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then I've written tunes to go with traditional. I mean, written uh, dances to go with particular tunes that was my favorite at the time, or something like that. And and uh, that makes a lot of uh, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, finding getting the magic combination of the right music for the for the for that dance. That's why, in particular, I like. I like the dances that I've composed the music and the dance for, at least composed the dance for that particular unique music. And, mm. uh, and sometimes there'll be a, a, an outlier tune. Um, there's one uh, I've been meaning to resurrect one of these days uh, uh, that I learned many years ago called the whistling thief mm. and the, the thing about the whistling thief is it has an extra it has an extra eight beats um in it and so it it really isn't crooked because that you know that's a whole style of uh of uh Quebecois music and I don't think the crooked tunes yeah. work very well for 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 yeah, dances because the, the phrasing doesn't line well up. the phrasing doesn't facilitate and then sometimes they drop beats and that right. doesn't facilitate. But this had just an extra inserted in the melody, sort of a, a repeated phrase that added a couple of measures. And so I wrote a dance that accommodated that. Mm-hmm. And and so, to you know, I, I, I'll never forget the, the dance that, that inspired me the most in the very first Dudley dance um, was uh, the Black Joke. And that, that's that circle dance, uh, hi ho diddly dum yump da, and, every, and and that's how it starts, and everybody claps their hands just like that. Uh, and 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 then, and then there's this part, yump da 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 yump da 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 da. And so they're so you're doing like a patty cake motion. Yeah, they're doing there. a patty cake thing, yeah. and it goes right with the music, and, and then everybody sings, hi ho diddly dum boom. And so, though to me the, that was the greatest because the way it integrated the dancers doing something exactly to the music all together, yeah, knowing how the music and the dance can work perfectly together, emphasizing the beats for everybody on the claps and the patty cake, you know, it it and then the singing, I ho diddly dum, it just imp- empowers everybody everybody is sort of almost equally involved at that point it's not that's right you know it, it, it's it's not like the caller is every you know or the it's like it's like every everybody's everybody's contributing and that's what the kind of energy that we generated at our Bodenham dances is that the dancers are in some ways as much a part of the band as the band was we we uh, even avoided using a PA system. We had a big orchestra, or quite a few people, and some accordions, and you know, big upright piano, and 
we were able to, in two or three fiddles, we were able to produce a, 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 enough music without any amplification. But it was a, without any amplification, you have a whole different vibe and a whole different listening thing. And I love it. It's my favorite. There was actually a moment at Down East one year when the power went out. And uh, I think it was Rumble Strip that was playing Glenn and Nat. And like, I just remember the two of them trying to crank out the melody and there were hand drums involved and like the power went out and the dance kept going. It was just the best thing. It was just the best thing. So favorite part about the entire DEFA weekend was that moment in the survivor's dance when the power went out. It was so great. Well, you know, people listen differently when it's not just boom, there's all this, you know, too much sound. You know, it's better that they, they, it works their ear a little bit to listen to absolutely. And then if you don't have our idea was calling was to, you know, play the fiddle or whatever and just shout it out, you know, two or three times and then let let them on on their own, you know. Uh right. And let let the music go because the more vocalizing, the less connection with the music. And, and you know that that's what happened with square dancing, you know. It 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 started off with just like regular community dancing and then and then it then it got kind of clubbish and got more sophisticated. Pretty soon they were like competing and, and wearing costumes, and then the music got let got de- degraded more and more mm-hmm. until finally all there was was just they put on a record and it was just a beat and 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 the caller and there was like no music it was just all calling might be singing calling or it might be just calls there's like no no real music and and it was just the beat and it just you know to me, that's just the opposite of what I want. I want to see the dance community move towards, which is yeah. more, you know, just dancing to the music and and having the music be the the, the focus, uh, the dynamicness of the music. Um, and I also think that it's really fun, though, to you know, be innovative and 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 break out into different stuff. Uh, so uh, in the old days. Uh, We'd be no, you know, we might throw in a Beatles tune or something like that mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a, of a contra dance. Uh, if, if, if it could fit, there's one. Uh, I've just seen a face, uh, is a, is a great Beatles song that you know is good and fast and kind of a country beat to it. And you can just go right into a, 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 uh, a dance with something like that. And then, and then having, uh, uh, a vocal part of the dance, um, that Dudley tradition of just uh, la lying the tune, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's I, I like that as a, that's another sort of musical gimmick is that you you actually stop playing the music and just let everybody la la it around, and uh, and then maybe bring the music back or something like that. Um, so uh, uh, what other? Oh yes, also. Uh, uh, playing uh, music that somehow would be represent the time of year, you know, uh, huh. <laughs> uh, that would, you know, like, like, uh, and the, the old timers, uh, even, even in July, a lot of the old time dance bands in Maine would play jingle bells because they loved the, the tune so much, but it makes a great contra dance tune. And, and so, you know, so anyway, you just, 
throw in uh in you know christmas time or whatever that time of year you might throw in some fun stuff like that or 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 easter or whatever or or have a, a little pun of a joke or something like that um uh you know the the the, the frost is all over is a good one uh, uh, and, you know, <laughs> and you know and you can use that in the fall and the spring because it, frost is all over in the fall you look out your window oh my god the frost is all over the place but then in the spring it's oh thank goodness the frost is all over we can plant our <laughs> plant our plants <laughs> and, and, and so any 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 way to sort of like have some fun uh make it uh lively um another so I, I think that these are the these are like the variables that make the style of dancing magical right like just to summarize oh, I, some of the themes you've been talking about it's like music that's accessible to people dances that are accessible to people the attention's not on the caller necessarily. It's on everyone together. And also when people can dance with each other, they are free to like talk to each other or show appreciation or just whoop or holler or make noise, you know, choosing these tunes that fit the dances, all these things come together to make this magic. That's that what I you're think. Talking about. That's, the, that's the, that's the best formula. Uh, yeah. Uh, and there's yep. as much emphasis on like the spirit in which you do it as there is in quote, how you do it. You know, like you could do a Beatles tune. It's not about getting it quote unquote, right. It's about the spirit in which you do it and everyone doing it together as a community where everyone is welcome and everyone participates. Yeah. Which is what is magical. And I, I went to my very first contra dance in Maine. Oh, I really? was teaching. Yeah. I was what? teaching environmental education in Maine. And one of my coworkers said, okay, Julie, you're a folky. There's this thing I think you would like, it's called contra dancing. I don't know how to describe it, but just come and you'll like it. And my first dance was in the West Costigo hall. And I just remember walking in and going under the dance floor through the basement and feel the dance floor shake above yeah. my head and be like, before I even saw the dance, I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> and then you come up the stairs. And of course, the hall is no longer with us, sadly. Oh, what a shame. Come, it's what such a shame. Hall. Great, and great, great hall. It was a beautiful hall. Hmm. Uh, it was lost in a fire. Yeah. And uh, you come Out up of the top word. of the stairs. I know. And I would just hit with all these senses, like, like just the warmth of the air and the moving dancers and the joy on people's faces and they're whooping and hollering and stomping their feet to the music. And it felt so welcoming and so vibrant and people threw me in there and they didn't care if I messed up. And then when I was tired, I went up, that was when they had the balcony open and I could go up to the balcony and watch the patterns mm. down below and watch everyone moving all together, just like you talk about. Yeah. And that was a really seminal moment for me. That was the only one I went to. And then a few years later, when I moved to Boston, somebody said, oh, you should try contra dancing. And I was like, oh, I love that. But honestly, the dance in Boston that I went to was different. It didn't have that same over effusive welcoming joy and it was harder to find a partner because people were booked ahead and they oh i hate that yeah mm. and and so i was like it's too oh, professional this is it's too yeah it was beautiful and fancy and nice and everyone did it every thursday and they didn't always seem particularly excited because it's like what they do for fun and they sort of seemed like they were all taking it for granted a little bit but that joyous sense where really everyone is welcome and everyone can participate is this is the spirit that underlies this magical feeling of dancing. 
And and I feel like even at Main Fiddle Camp, and later on in this interview, we'll talk about Main Fiddle Camp a little bit. But I'll just touch on that now that you carry that thread through where everyone is welcome at Main Fiddle Camp of any level. Everyone plays an instrument. Often we play new instruments that we're bad at. The staff learn new instruments. Everyone gets the same amount of applause when they're performing, no matter if it's their first time playing a tune on the penny whistle or if they're like a super experienced fiddler. People come to the barn dance. It doesn't matter if they're late on the strip the willow because nobody cares. And and you see that dance, and I've talked about this before in Contrapulse, but especially on Dudley nights, but any night during the barn dance, the stage is full of musicians, 30 people. You can't even all fit on stage. Yeah. There's not even room for the caller on the stage. And that's, that's my one of my favorite times at camp because I always make sure that I that I'm part of that. And whereas a lot of other times I'm busy organizing things or whatever. But I always take time to be part of the dance because it's I feel it's like really one of the most important things. And I want to emphasize that. And I have so much fun at the dance playing with those 30 people on stage or <laughs> or, or going out and teaching and, and inspiring the, the, the new people just to experience it. You know, yeah. uh, reminding me of uh, how excited I was when I first experienced it. Um, so. Uh, the, the music's a lot of fun, though. I, I love the I love the variety uh, of uh, uh, that I've explored o- over the years of uh, of, of styles, and uh, uh, I, I sometimes it seems like there aren't a lot of people tuning in on that that sort of same frequency. Um, oh, I wish I could remember the name of the dance caller uh, that. Uh, was on that exact same uh, frequency. Um, D- Dudley's tunes are 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 quite good, uh, he, and and he has a he has a made a point of having a pretty good variety uh, over the years. I'm not sure though he thinks of, as much about um, the type of tune. He's more mm-hmm. apt to just do whatever the latest tunes that he's into or something. Uh, but yeah. I always thought it was really good to sort of. Uh, well, he, any any dance he's going to call, he knows that it's the right music for. So that that's a no brainer. But uh, I don't think he necessarily thinks about I'm going to have a jig this time, and then I'm going to go to a reel, and I'm going to do a minor reel this time, and then a fast set of hornpipes, and then a and then a, uh, uh, a downy's two step or something like that. Uh, that's that's what I would do. I I think he's just more more variety that way, and uh, um, uh, so I to me some of the uh, things I I find distressing is when uh, nowadays it seems like what you do is you get a, a caller and then a band and you just kind of put them together and then hope that it works out, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, over the years I, you know I I spent. 25, 30, 40 years playing with the same people with the same repertoire and crafting these dances. And so that's that's hard to replicate play that kind of uh, experience in uh, uh, where you just have randomly take some dance call with a, with a whole different dance and then random um, bunch of music uh, and that who knows what you're going to get. Um, right. So uh, that kind of 
integration is tough. That's where D Dudley uh, being playing the music and doing the calling totally controls that, you know, he, he, he knows exactly. And so that's sort of the same way we've looked at it is that we really want to, I, I almost feel a little bit uncomfortable in some ways, you know, when I'm, when I'm just playing and there's somebody else calling um, because there, there isn't that uh, experience to sort of make sure that they got the right kind of music for the right type of dance. And yeah, uh, it's a, it's a synergy that you can have. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, like if you have someone who's like a full-time country musician, you know, they spend a lot of time around callers and, you know, like I could generally pick the right kind of tunes that a caller might want, but it's, it's a different kind of thing when you have the tunes and the dances all in your head together and you can kind of craft the whole evening. And I, I was just remarking the other day, I think it's, to me, it, it's a shame, but it seems like that type of caller seems to be disappearing of the kind of person who can call and play at the same time and know yeah, the I, tunes and the dances yeah. there's you there's dudley there's david kaner you know who's legendary for doing that you know there's a few others out there i'm not trying i'm not even going to try to make a list because i'll forget someone so i'm not even going to list them but there's a but it seems like more and more that style is disappearing and that makes me sad yeah another thing i'm, I'm sort of wonder about too is that we, when we were developing all of this, you know, first we, we fell in love and wanted to uh, preserve our local traditional musical styles. But right away we realized that the, the, the dancing component was, was incredibly important to it. Mm -hmm. But now as time has gone on and more people have picked up fiddling and stuff, the fiddling d doesn't always seem to be related to dancing anymore as much anymore it's more of just listening or performing and that dance component of it um as is, is getting lost uh, what we were started to recognize this you know right away i mean it, it didn't take long before things were were, were we were noticing that and so way back in the 70s and 80s and stuff there was still a whole bunch of fiddle contests going on and uh, mm -hmm. you don't hardly find a fiddle contest anymore. But 20, 30 years ago, there were everywhere. Every, every country fair in Maine had a fiddle contest. And they traditionally had had a fiddle contest. And why did they have a fiddle contest? For the same reason they have uh, uh, tractor pulls and, and, and blue ribbons for the best cow or the blue ribbon for the best rutabaga. Is that, is that, is that uh, the country fair's job was to celebrate and to encourage the production and life of the country person. And that's represented by, you know, how strong his tractor is, how strong his horse is, how great of a rutabaga they can grow. Uh, and the fiddling was part, such a part of the culture that they wanted to reward and encourage that part of their culture, along with pie making and and uh, what other kind of contests they got, you know, uh, uh, oiled up pig pig grabbing or whatever. It, it all kind of represented country culture, and uh, so and the competition would be the idea would be give a blue ribbon to the best 
that encourages people to to aspire to be better. And, and there's nothing wrong with competition in my mind. I think competition is good as long as it's you're you're being a good sport about it. Mm-hmm. And and if you if if, if you lose, uh, uh, you know you should you should be just as gracious as you are or winning, or you should always be very gracious about it. Uh, it's only bad sportsmanship to me that that makes competition gives competition a, a bad name. Matter of fact. Um, I, I owe competition to everything I've done because um, when I first started to get into playing this kind of music, uh, I was inspired by other people who were much better and I wanted to compete with them. I wanted to be as good as they were. They, yeah. So if, if, if it wasn't for people to inspire and try to get better at, the, you know, to emulate, uh, so to me, that's what the, what they tried to do at the fiddle contests, and uh, so anyway, there are a lot of fiddle contests, and and w- when we ran some of them, and sometimes we'd be hired to be judges and stuff, and and whatever we did, we uh, our 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 criteria, our number one criteria for uh, judging at a fiddle contest was what we call old time danceability. Oh. And, and because we thought and still do think that the most important job with the fiddler is to play good dance tunes and get people moving and dancing and want to dance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's what we wanted to hear from the fiddlers. Uh, you know, a lot of things, you know, tone, uh, intonation, rhythm, uh, this and that. Those are sort of important in most, most fiddle contests are just... But for us, the you know, seventy five percent of it was old time danceability, and the rest, you know, that might make the difference between a winner and a loser. You know, a little better intonation on the waltz or something. But, but you know, the old time danceability—that's what would had to be the. They had to have the right, the right tempo, that magic tempo that just that really the people feel not too fast, not too slow. Um, his name is going to come to me. Yeah, that, that dance caller I was telling about, he, he, he when, when Ted Stanella, there's his name. Ah. Yeah, Ted Stanella. We, 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 we told some friends of ours, hey, we're going to play for Ted Stanella that, 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 for the first time at some gig or whatever. We're looking forward to that. And they go, oh, well, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Oh, boy. He's <laughs> really fussy about the music. I mean, his tempos have to be just right. And we go, well, we're, we're just going to go and play at whatever, you know, if he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it, but this is, this is what we do. And this is what, so we get there and we sit down and he comes up and he says, all right, boys, let's have a tune here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to time you. And he gets on a stopwatch and, <laughs> and boom, he puts the stopwatch on us. And we just play a tune and didn't think twice about it. Just played it the way we always played it. And we've done with the tune. He stops the stopwatch. He looks at, and we were like, it was like never another word about tempo the rest of the night. I, I think we probably just nailed it right down to the second. Matter of fact, I, I've, I've you know done a lot of recording of dance tunes and stuff over the years, and and uh, when you do a recording, digital recording, you know, instantly shows you how how long the tune is, you know, that you've yeah. played, and 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 you know, uh, I noticed it over and over again whether you know, play a jig or play reels. 
or whatever it is I'm recording, if I'm thinking about how I played for dances, when I'm done, it's within a few seconds after playing two or three, four times through. It's it's you know it, it it's within a few seconds you know so if you do it enough there's a sort of almost this in, intuitive feeling and and then that can vary too depending on the on the dance you know that that uh, it just it, you might right. be a little slower in this context and a little faster in another and you might also ever so slowly speed up a little bit too. Uh, to give things more of a dynamic feel. Uh, and there's always the ridiculous gimmick of uh, like, like playing twice as fast at the very end. And everybody rushes through. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's fun to sort of goof, goof on the, on the uh, 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 dancers for fun too. An another thing that we were uh, famous for um, uh, or infamous for, I don't know what it was, but uh, 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 we would, all of us, uh, playing on the stage would uh, come off the stage and and play right on the dance floor with the dancers and then at the very end of the dance we all fall down on our backs and kicked our feet up in the air <laughs> <laughs> and and during the heyday of the Bodenham dance uh, uh national geographic was doing a a a story on the coast of maine and and our Bodenham dance at that point had become like iconic. This is like in the late 80s. We'd been doing it for 15 years or something. And, and you know, it was a sort of an iconic dance and uh, like around 88 or so, I'd say. And uh, uh, so the, the National Geographic people heard about this, this, you know, main folk dance, music, fiddling music, traditional near the coast in Bodenham. We got to have this in our, in our, in the article. So they, they brought a couple of, of people and, and, a, and one of their ace photographers, you know how good the photos are in, in National Geographic. So they came out and they took a whole bunch of pictures at our dance one night. And then, and then they came back the next month. They said, well, the, the pictures weren't good enough. We, we, we got to get, we got to, we got to do it again. And so they took, came and they did a whole bunch more pictures. And then when the when the when the publication finally came out, I've got a copy of it somewhere. Uh, it's the worst picture I've ever seen in any <laughs> National Geographic. It's so blurry, it's ridiculous, and it's all of us on our backs with our feet up in the air after the. You know, <laughs> and that's what they chose to. That's uh, what they chose. <laughs>
the different musical styles that we went through. Right. So, you know, so then you add the French Canadian, but then all of a sudden, like the boys of the lock and all this uh, big time Irish stuff came in. And so everybody was playing like Irish music for a while, uh, or, or it became, it became like sidetracked into like I Irish for a while for like mm -hmm. a year, which seemed like a decade back then. <laughs> And 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 but then uh, then there then there came in the English thing, and 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 Dudley was right in on that with all the Morris dancing, that's right, and and uh, uh, English dance tunes and English country dance through the CDSS. Uh, th th there was a phase where where we kind of like discovered that and and explored that a little bit. But every time we go into these uh, other realms, and that's where the accordion came in, which which really changed our sound in a big time. For one thing. It was a big time sound, uh, and and uh, I mean, like an accordion can be as loud as two or three fiddles, and uh, it doesn't have to be. It's not always played <laughs> that way, but the way we played it, it certainly was. Uh, and and uh, and and the first accordion that came on the scene was the button accordion, and that was the instrument that Dudley was playing when I first met uh, met him uh, at that dance. Uh, he had played a piano accordion quite a bit before then and had been playing button accordion. And, and then later on, he really got into uh, fiddling and stuff. But uh, I always, when I heard that accord, he was leading the band with accordion. And so that was very interesting. So uh, I was busy, though, uh, learning piano uh, and, and working on that. But other some of my colleagues really started to get into playing the uh, button accordion, you know, because it's not that much different than a harmonica. And uh, a lot of folk musicians that knew, knew enough on the harmonica to how it worked. And so it wasn't that big of a deal to go into the old push and pull on the button accordion. And, because the uh, notes are different on the push and on the pull. Yeah, that's right. Not familiar that's right. with them. So yeah, it's I, a little I, bit I, of a brain a brain twist well maybe. you know you know i play both most people don't play both of those instruments i can't do it i try well, to play accordion. accordion well oh. i pl i play both and and guess what the button accordion is actually easier believe it or not and i'll tell you why first of all it's diatonic right that means there, there's no no accidentals to goof up on, right? right. Just the notes of the scale in there. Just the notes of a major, major scale, right. of a straight major scale. You're all set. So, you know, you got that going for you. And uh, so that really limits it. Uh, and, uh, and and you only have a, a few core. I always think that you got to have the left hand in accordions are just as important as the right hand. And so the left hand in a button accordion uh you have fewer options, but you have to know which direction to push and pull and, and all that. So that seems to be really difficult if you're used to a piano accordion and, and you don't have to worry about the bells. It's just a, a an air pump to, to supply the, 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 the air, whereas the button accordion, you have to go back and forth. And so it would logically would seem like that's more difficult because of that. But I actually have found that it's it's easier in in this sense is that once I've learned a tune on the button accordion, I'll never forget it because it is I, the, the only reason that I I say that is because it's a holistic body experience. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. it. In other words, you've heard of muscle memory. 
Yeah. Well, you end up with an incredible amount of muscle at memory. Yeah. Because you're, you know, it's this back and forth thing. Right. Because you See? literally have to move the bellows in order to change notes. Unlike That's right. That's right. And you can't think about it. If you thought about it, you'd, you'd, you'd go crazy with a piano chord. You, you sort of can think a little bit about, you know, your fingering and the, but, but here it's just, it's just, so, yeah. so, so it's muscle memory. It's, it's the limited number of notes. Um, and, and it's the fact that I don't know a single button accordion player and, and includes myself that really knows what the notes are that you're playing, the names of them, that is. Right. Like, like when I play the fiddle or the piano or the piano accordion, I know the name of every note I'm playing. I mean, it's in my, you know, it's in my brain. That's the note. A button accordion, I have, I have no, I don't care. I could care less about what note I'm playing because it's all ear. Because yeah. it doesn't help to look down. No. There's no logic to it, just a bunch of a, a bunch of anonymous buttons. And 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 you can, I suppose you can intellectualize it. But uh, and I'm a real intellectual player. I love to analyze everything I do. I like to know everything I do. It helps me remember things. It helps me replicate tunes. I like to know if it's a fiddle tune. I, I, if I know what key it's in, it really helps me remember the tune. Or if I know the name and association, uh, so uh, it just it puts it all together in and in, uh, in a way that. Uh, but you have to take the time to sort of like figure out a tune, get familiar with it, and then play it enough. And then, and then I find that once I've done that. And so I actually think that of, of, uh, that, uh, in terms of melody, uh, I really love the fiddle as the best melody instrument for dancing. Mm -hmm. But I think in my mind, the button accordion might be the next one. And the reason is, is that what what makes fiddling to me magical and fun and fiddling is the bowing because the left hand you know a, a note is a note you know if it's in more it's in tune the more it's going to ring out and sound better and everything else but a note is a note uh, whereas the bow has like these infinite possibilities you know like if you're picking a mandolin there's not a lot of possibilities is the pick goes back and forth but a bow you can either slur the note or you can bow the note and the, the difference between the bowing and the slurring is what the magic is of the tune and so mm -hmm. in playing the fiddle you you can't you don't want it just all back and forth but you don't you don't want too many slurs you really want the, the bowing to complement the tune and make it very danceable and you have that option with the bow and the bow makes the music magic um now a button accordion doesn't have a bow not no other instruments do but it has the next best thing it has bowing built into it because if the phrase requires you to go back and forth with the notes that's the bowing. But sometimes you might get two or three notes with the bellows going in the same direction. And that's the slur right. of the bow. 
And so with the button accordion, you are getting the bowing effect because when you change that direction of the bellows, just like when you change the direction of the bow, you are momentarily totally stopping the note, clipping it. Right. And that creates a different feel as opposed to the slur. And so, and it's the combination of the deedle deedle da da deedle deedle da 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 the slurring and the bowing that that makes the fiddling. And and it's taken me took me you know many many years to 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 get to a point where I I, I could control that and then actually use it as a as a form of self expression. But initially, when I was playing the fiddle. Uh, you know, it just took all of my energy to, you know, to play the notes right, and uh, and and if I was calling the dance, uh, you know, I had to call the dance, and and I just didn't have the ability to like control the bowing, so my bowing wasn't as good as I would like it. But I didn't, I didn't have that ability. But over time, I've learned to sort of like at will change the bowing and and give it, give get the tune, get the nicest bowing strategy for for the tune to make it most danceable so to me that that button accordion effect um <clears throat> the way gabriel bay uses it with his harmonica playing he has mm -hmm. a double reed one that he uses too with a big uh <clears throat> the other thing is the musette sound of an accordion yeah that, that to reads. me i have to have the musette sound to me that that the musette sound that most button accordions will have is the definitive old-time accordion sound, and and the straight-tuned accordion, I mean, it, to me, it doesn't have that old-time sound. It 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 it, it sort of a, to me, it sound, almost sounds like a a classical musician trying to play a fiddle tune. It right. it doesn't. It, no matter how great, it's a Perlman calls himself a fiddler, but I bet he can't really play a really good dance tune for a barn dance and really nail it. You know what I mean? Right. It wouldn't have the right grit and rhythm to it. He wouldn't have the right bowing. He wouldn't have the right, right. feel. He wouldn't have exactly. the exactly. He'd play the notes too perfectly. <laughs> he can't. So just, if it's too perfect, it can't be fiddling. You know, <laughs> or he, he'd, he'd put he'd put you know maybe some uh, uh, vibrato ornaments there, or something, something or vibrato yeah. that were that was there. He couldn't help the vibrato or something. You know. So well, um, just to explain for our listeners, uh, Sylvia Misco and I were just talking about this a few days ago. Um, Musette is also what we are calling wet tuning, where you have two reeds that play the same note and they're purposely tuned a few cents apart from each other. So that they beat against each other or a music can be three of the same reed at a time. And that gives you that super rich, full sound. It does. It, it, it's actually a, sort of an internal vibrato. I think they, yeah. they actually tune one of the reeds just a little bit sharp. Yep. And so you get a little going on and, and, and that, and that, to me, is a, a, the accordion sound. Maybe it's just because you know I heard Dudley doing that, but to me, it just it it just evokes that old time sound. So um, I learned to play the button accordion, and uh, and I'll, I'll play that for dances. But also um, because I was studying piano at the, right around the same time the accordions came in uh, to our musical family and colleagues and band members and everything. Uh, 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 there were like three or four uh, musicians in our uh, musical group at the time that that went 
head over heels over button accordion. And to this day, it's their major instrument. Um, they, ne they never left it even. Uh, whereas some other musicians dabbled in it like I did and learned, you know, half a dozen or a dozen tunes, but then, you know, focused on other instruments. Uh, so, it, it, but anyway, because I was doing old time piano, um, and sometimes playing, you know, the melodies for the old uh, on the old time piano. Uh, it, it dawned on me that that I should play the piano accordion, and uh, and it, as it turns out, the, the piano accordion was was a, a really relatively easy thing for me to transfer what I was doing on the piano because mm -hmm. uh, the piano accordion to me is, is is set up to be a perfect dance instrument. Because it has the left hand of, 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 of an old-time piano player capability. It has, for you push one button and you get an octave bass note. And you push another button right next to it. And you get a triad chord, major chord, or, or move a little yeah. bit further. And you get the same chord as a minor. And, and, and then it's got the counter bass and the fifth right next to it. So you it just... It's so right. logically laid out in fourths and fifths going up and down. It's the most brilliant, simple design. And 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 what if you if you get into a pattern of the left hand of of doing bass and, and chords, boom chick, boom chick, boom chick, boom chick, and a few bass lines, you're literally emulating exactly what the old time piano player is doing with octaves and chords with this type of style and the left hand, except all you have to do is push a few buttons. So it really helps, gives you that rhythmical background uh, and chordal capability and traumatically too. And then of course, with the right hand, you've got, you've got the keyboard. That's where to me, the piano accordion is actually much harder than the button accordion yeah. because the piano keyboard, melodically speaking, is not that easy to conquer because every key... Pins. Every key has a different different pattern. Like with the button accordion, every key has exactly the same pattern. Right, but on the piano, because on piano, of the black every and the key, white keys. Every key is very different. The fingerings every key. are all different. Minor, major, keys. every 12 tones, they all have different feel to it, different fingering, different, different chords, different accidentals, all that you have to account for. And uh and 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 then you've got the fingering, like on a button accordion, there there's some fingering gimmicks, but uh, with piano, there's a lot. You really, I found that you really need to, sometimes I really need to sit back and just really find the perfect fingering for a difficult phrase that I don't want to just wing, you know. I want to make it the most efficient way to do it. There might be like two or three different ways of doing it. I want to find the way that speaks to me the most and is easiest for me and, and is physically the most facilitates the playing. And so sometimes it takes a little studying to figure out how you might attack a melody with the piano, but with the accordion, it's just, it is what it is. And it is, you know, there's not that many options unless you have a two row and then you drop down to the second row to get a, the same yeah. note in a pull instead of a push. And in order to get the right chord with the with the left hand, which is a pull, but the note that you want with it is a push. So you can get that same <laughs> note with a pull if you drop. So there's, there's some of that gimmickry going on with chords, but uh, you know, that's just basically a tune. It's, it's pretty straight. And so. Uh, well, while we're talking about chords and accordions, 
Maybe now would be a good time. Would you be interested in demonstrating some of these things for us on the piano? I would love to hear you play a little piano. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, Doug actually, is known. Uh, what, I, what I thought I would demonstrate what I was talking about with the button, uh, a button accordion. Uh, let, me, let me get my button accordion, and then I'll do something with the piano. Let me get that. Sure. Doug is going to get his button accordion. You know, another another thing I was going to mention is that um, you know, when I play the piano accordion, I always want the piano accordion to sound like a button accordion. So I work my technique with the piano accordion. Uh, first of all, I make sure that I get uh, the right kind of musette tone on the piano accordion. And that's hard mm -hmm. to find. A lot of them don't have that. All, a lot of the old button ones, they all have the right that, that musette tone. I mean, it's just to me that that sound. Then you got the left hand, plenty of bass and three. You know your three basic chords, and uh, and so. Uh, but you even have a two chord. Oh, we have the have one chord going this way, and the same one going that way. You got minor, but very not, no, limited compared. But you only have two keys, so you only need a, a few chords. And uh, right. a lot of the dance tunes have only have two or three chords anyway, or can be played that way. So, uh, this is, like this instrument, it's all it's all muscle memory. I, I play it once a year at the most. Um, these tunes I've lear learned, you know, thirty years ago, and only yeah, play. Yeah, do you want to play us a classic down this tune yeah. on the button accordion? This is my favorite one here. The old French Canadian, Glees de Sherbrooke. Uh, but, but a lot of times we we say it, it sounds like Buffalo Gal, so we'll sing we'll sing the words to Buffalo Gals with it. <laughs> same way and uh, uh because there's in my mind there's so much muscle memory and and also it's really good for for calling too because uh it's such an unthinking instrument yeah you 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 just with piano accordions there's a lot to think about you know all yeah. those different keys and, and fingering and, and strategies and 
this is the most unthinking, intuitive, uh, ear-playing uh, instrument. But uh, a good a good example of uh, one of uh, one of the uh, classic uh, tunes on on uh, piano that one of my mentors played, and uh, uh, is really good example of of the Downey's tune. I'll never forget when we first heard this tune. We we went we went up to Canada to Nova Scotia to to find out more about Downey's fiddling, and we heard about these the, this fiddling family. The fiddling Camo family in Camoville. <laughs> so we went up to the Bay of Fundy on the coast to Camoville and and said, "Hey, we're we're looking for the fiddlers in Camoville." They go, "Oh yeah, they live up right up on Camo Road here. <laughs> the Camos, <laughs> they're right up right up there on the hill." And uh, anyway, we, we went there, and the, and the the father was the venerated. Uh, uh, Old time, uh, old timer who uh, played the fiddle, um, but his um, uh, his son uh, Johnny was uh, 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 kind of even young, a little bit younger than we were, right around the same age. And of course, he'd grown up with fiddling, so he was a dynamic fiddler. But here was the funny thing: back then, is that um, the 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 trad stuff hadn't really hit with the younger generation up in Canada. Because it had been around for all the old timers, and they, you know, but when we got up there and and played with Johnny and and his buddies, all they wanted to do and talk about was bluegrass. That 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 at that time up in Canada, bluegrass was the thing, and and they even called themselves bluegrass bands, and 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 they and they did bluegrass repertoire, and they all had a a, a big background in the traditional stuff. But they didn't want to play that. That was like they took that for granted because that's what they they wanted something different from away. And so, so we went up there and we said, "Well, he said, look, well, I'll teach you one of our tunes, uh, costumes, but you have to play some bluegrass for me." You know, whatever. <laughs> so, so we faked a little bluegrass, and then and then he showed us uh, the old classic. Let me adjust this chair a little bit if I can. Yeah, he tosses this uh, classic, uh, uh, the old crooked stovepipe. And so I always like oh, to show yeah. people, like this is the, the Waldo Monroe version. You, know? you gotta have that, that good steady bass. Sometimes octaves, but Otto Soper showed me that if you flick down with your little finger, you can you can almost get as good of a sound as, as, as an octave.
Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, anyway, they, oh. we, we were very excited to learn the Crooked Stovepipe. We love the name of it. We love the whole thing about it. And uh, uh, it's a great dance tune. Good example of, uh, I would sort of call, you know, the kind of reel that's a little, pretty much sort of like a two-step too. You know, not too many notes, very danceable. Cool chords too. Now, that was the other thing is that um, that they're uh, up in Canada, they, they, these traditional tunes, especially the ones that were uh, even, you know, composed by people from the region uh, maybe a couple hundred years ago, but nonetheless didn't come originally from Scotland or Ireland. Uh, they would always have uh, uh, cool chords and and I don't know, you know, it became a stylistic thing where they added more chords than the way they had figured it out in the Southern old timey mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, one of the big chordal things that that was very different and new. And to me, the chords are very important for establishing the, the music to dance to, because if you have exciting chord progressions, that can really make things more interesting. And, and uh, I'm gonna get a, just a little technical here, but uh, what, what uh, a lot of times, you know, your, your, your standard tune would have, you know, like the one chord, the four chord and the five chord. And what we found was that uh, they utilized the two chord in the down east style stuff. And, and you hear that in, in the Crooked Stovepipe, mm -hmm. uh, goes from the C down to the A. And and the E there's an E note there and that's shared by both the C and the A. But anyway, they would utilize the two chord and they would always or not always, but more often than not, they would use it as a major because normally a two chord without an accidental is a, is a minor chord. Like you're in the key of G, it'd be an A minor. But they would use the A major. They would even use an A major with a dominant seventh on it. And, yeah. and what that would do. Would be would be just like to add that extra bit of chordal oomph to the tune, and uh, quite often the tune would even be beg for that. Once you got an ear for it, it would beg for it, or sometimes you'd sort of insert it in there and uh, and and add that uh, element to it. And so um, having fun with the chords, expanding the chord realms. Uh, you know, a good example of that uh, is. Uh, what they did with the um, with the Irish uh, tunes, uh, I think the uh, uh, I I attribute this to the to the Irish uh, the famous Irish bands from the eighties or whatever. Uh, there are a whole section of uh, minor tunes in the repertoire that basically traditionally would have two chords in them. Say if you're, if you're in E minor, for example, uh, you know, you have your E minor and then you just go down the whole step for the D. And there's like, you know, a whole, you know. Anyway, uh, there's a whole lot of tunes that have that, that uh, progression and the, only those two chords. And so, um, uh, musicians got tired of uh, backup musicians got tired of playing just two chords, and so they became inventive, and 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 then they and then we called it uh, 
what do we call it? Irish New Age gimmick or something like that. <laughs> and 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 so what the Irish New Age, and so we would we when we went to play a tune at a dance, and it was going to be one of these minor modals with you know with just the half the whole step below major to the minor mode, which the vast majority of them are. Um we would say, okay, let's somebody would shout out, you know, let's let's go uh new age Irish or something. And then anybody playing chords, uh, you know, would know that that we would go to the alt alternative. And what that gimmick is, it's just really it's really cute. You know, you start you're in aim, you're in say you're in E minor. They said, no, 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 we can make, we not only can we add some chord to it, but we can even have a cool bass line. So, so they start off with the E minor. Now they go to the D, that's normal. Now, normally you go back to the E minor, but instead they go down a whole step to C, which shares a note with E minor, the E, and therefore harmonically fits, and yet sounds totally weird. So then you got... Instead of E minor, you got this C. And then you go, so now you got this bass line. And then you finish with B minor, which is the relative minor of D, which means it relates. So as an alternative, because you can always, you, you can sort of use the relative minor as an alternative to a major chord. Uh, right. Because they they relate they they share notes and they relate to each other and so the gimmick is 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 just that. And, and then and then you've got you do that you know with a with a with a strap kind of can't think of a tune right now but you do that with a regular straight mi minor tune and you know what I'm talking about it just. It just like really adds a whole new element to it, and so so fun chords and 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 the bass line too that it adds to that. The only yeah. thing about it is that I don't I don't really want to do the whole tune with that gimmick. I like to use a gimmick as a gimmick, right? Play it straight, but then throw throw in because if you just start off with the gimmick, then there's nowhere else to go. So it's nice to have something to go to dip that's different to, to liven up the music to inspire the dancers is what the idea is. The idea is to have have the music be so much fun that it that that the dancers hear the funness, the fun that you're having, the fun that you're doing with the music. And that inspires them to have fun to with the dancing and and, right. and, and you, you see you them having fun that. with the dancing and it makes you want to even have more fun with the music
playful attitude is so important. The like musicians have to play around with the music. They have to play around with the dancers. The dancers have to play around with the dance and each other. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to be innovating and messing around and trying new things. So well, it keeps it fresh. Well, you know, that's the thing that bothers me about dances or tunes that are too complex because, mm-hmm. because to me as a dancer, I want to have mental time to smell the roses while I'm dancing. <laughs> I want to be able to like have some mental space to appreciate the music. I want to have some mental space to appreciate my partner. I want to have some mental space to like accommodate my partner, recognize where they're coming from and, you know, whether they want to do 12 twirls or whether they don't want any twirls at all, or, or, you know, whether they're an older lady who needs to be treated very gently or whether they're some young wild person that really wants to go for it. I, I, I want, I, I want to uh, feel the rest of the dances, uh, dancers. Well, that takes mental energy. And if I'm spending all my en- mental energy listening to the caller and going through the next complicated uh, figure, yeah, I, I don't have the time to do that. Uh, and and I'm 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 working hard. I can do it to some degree. It's just to me, it's so it's really nice when when you can just let yourself go with the. It's sort of like uh, you know, I don't know if you can really do music justice if you're reading it. You know, uh, you have to have it in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. Right. And then and then it comes out. It, if if you're just sort of reading it, it just becomes a, a a rote kind of thing somewhat, unless you're a fantastic reader that can sight read and still bring out the magic of the tune. But I can't, you know, the, the minute I, I, you know, my ear takes over my eyes all the time. And, and uh, yeah, you I, can't I, be inside the tune if you're sight reading it. It's like well, you can't really play inside the tune and play with the tune until you know the tune so well that then you can play with it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, so, so reading so that, music that, will never get you there. That, that's why I like, you know, I mean, I, I've had a, a, a big repertoire, but, you know, you, I, I like to stick with tunes that I really know well, you know, and that I can really do. And I've got a big enough repertoire. You don't need a gigantic repertoire. But you do need a solid repertoire, you know, where you can really play it at the right tempo and and have the right feel to it. And uh, and then you got to think about what the dancers, what's good for the dancers. What 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 do they need? Uh, You know, I I, I just want to bring up the one other point about uh, about the about this, the this contraization of the old time country dances. I really think that that it. it, like like square dances are uh there's uh that's a whole different approach and and singing square dances uh that, that's a nice thing to have at a dance just to sort of inter, sort of introduce people to that element and what it has to offer as far as dancing goes it it's it, it has a different form and it has other ways of relating to people and then circle dances there's all kinds of circle dances there's circles mixers there's uh, Sicilian circles with couples facing couples. There's trio circle dances. Um, so those interactive circle dances to me are are really magical and magical in the sense that you're really working together as a unit. 
And 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 to me, the the ultimate uh, fulfillment of all of this is that to be able to like say get hired to play for a wedding, and you know play the nice music for the for the ceremony and and play some exciting music as people are are greeting the the bride and groom or or eating or something like that. But then at some point, if you can get everybody up and call a dance and have everybody dance together with the music that you've been playing and unite everybody in the hall to to celebrate, you end up with, to me, the the best and the most exciting elements of uh, of what the dance is all about, and has absolutely nothing to do do with the complexity of the dance. Everybody is welcome to join in. There's a real special art that I've that I've worked on all my all my time doing this kind of music dancing and calling is to be able to inspire total rank beginners who've never done any dancing whatsoever, maybe never even heard fiddle music, and they've heard heard the music for a while, and then they get them up right away with minimal amount of instruction and calling and get them up to do a dance and have it all work out really well where, where everybody just has a great time. And even though they've never done it before, I, I'll only call it through three, four times, and then they're on their own, and they get it right away uh, if, if they have any sort of... Um, musical and, and sense of rhythm. Uh, they, the, everybody gets it right away. And, and it's such a, a feeling of, of, uh, of giving people su- such a, a wonderful experience to, to really yeah. share with people. And again, I can't think of any, anything in our, please tell me if there's something in our modern culture that represents what I'm talking about in any way, shape or form. I, I just, I can't think of it. I, I know that when I was growing up and we went to my first dances in junior high, you know, I went into a, a, a gymnasium where the music was just being blasted so loud you, you couldn't even talk to anybody. And it was a dark room and then you were somehow expected to know how to dance. And but you really didn't. So then you just go out there with your partner, and everybody just sort of move around and whatever. And there wasn't any relating. There wasn't any. It was like everybody's sort of doing their own thing. It just, it just never struck me. And when I first experienced the that that togetherness, that community feeling, with the dancing and sharing it, it just it made all the difference in the world because it, it wasn't just like uh, everybody. It was for everybody, and everybody joins in, yeah. and everybody has a great time. And everybody dances, and and you know if you if you're playing the music, and you know right away when I get people up to, to dance, and they're done, I just get them clapping to the beat. I start playing the tune, so the beat is infectious, and I say all you have to do is find the beat. So here's the tune. See if you can clap along, and and everybody right away they're all clapping along. To the, they get the beat, and then you just have them step to the beat. Every step is a beat of the music, and there's 64 steps through one time through a fiddle tune and and there's 64 steps in a dance and and it all fits together and so that's what unifies everybody is is the beat and and so to me that uh, that musical downbeat is everything I, i've heard people say oh it's the upbeat people you want people to be 
up, you know, what, what, but to me, it's the, it's, it's the downbeat. It, that's where people are stepping. And, and, and that's like, for example, it really, it really bothers me that, that, that we aren't doing the, or in general, uh, dances aren't uh, in uh, the new age dances, new age country dances aren't doing the balance, the old time way anymore. Yeah. There, there, you know, there was this English version of, of, of a balance where you just sort of like step towards your partner and back like this sort of that kind of thing. Sort of very, elegant, very, yeah. very English dance, you know, was very sort of, you know, just very proper and all that. And, and to me, the old time country dancing, the farmers in Maine and everything, they, they, they had their boots on and they were like cutting up and they were, and so, and if you, if you read the, uh, the, the country dance book, uh, too, they have these wonderful drawings of dancers, and they and they show that the real balance, which is you step on your right and you kick across your body with your left, and you step on your left and you kick across your body with the right, and you mirror image your your partner uh, that way, and uh, and 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 when you step down, you're stepping. Well, your first step is right on the beat. Well, you get a whole bunch of dancers stomping for their uh, for their balance boom on that beat and the whole hall like you said your whole hall goes you know they they actually built the halls to do that they actually specifically designed the floor joists to give a certain amount because they wanted the floor to do that because is that's that a, what, is that a sprung floor is that yes exactly just, yeah. that, yes and i'm and i'm sure west Costago as well built yeah that that might have been the ultimate example of a big large hall with a sprung floor that, that and then so you go down in the basement and you know you really <laughs> and you'd hear you'd hear the you'd hear the beat of the feet yeah you know uh, and so could you play us another down east classic tune the kind of thing you'd hear at the evening barn dance well you know I have I have a whole medley of uh, uh, set up on the piano here that I did the other day uh, uh, when I was a special surprise guest at the Fiddle Hell concert, uh, and uh, so maybe I'll, I'll I'll just replicate that again since I I got it queued up on the on the piano here. Okay, um, so Doug has pre-recorded a piano performance into his piano, and he's going to hit the button, and his piano is going to play it back while he plays fiddle. That's right. It's going to give me Doug's going to give me four potatoes. That's what we always started our. Our dances off was saying to the piano player, you know, four potatoes, and that and that that meant you know uh, four beats uh, uh, to set the the tempo for everybody, and then and then and also cue the the caller, um, give the caller time to uh, get the first call in before the tune starts, and so I've done that with the piano. So I'm going to play a jig. Called the barber's jig, it goes way up high at the beginning in this in this harmonic. And I called the barber's jig because I learned it years ago from a fiddling barber in Augusta, a French Canadian fellow. I uh, never learned the real name, but Eric Favrot told me the real name in French is something like the traveler or something like that. And uh, and so it's a fun jig, uh, and it kind of goes into a, a, an interesting minor mode. So uh, it, so it's a really classic learn from an old main fiddler and and then i'll go into uh, uh 
the uh, loggers breakdown, which is uh, a breakdown, which is kind of like a reel sort of, uh, and uh, and then Tommy Boyle's reel, which was Tommy Boyle was a, a, a fiddler from Maine and Nova Scotia. He spent half his time in in Maine, half his time in Nova Scotia, and uh, one of our mentors uh, knew him well and raved about his fiddling and his and his down east repertoire, uh, and uh, but he had passed away when we had met this, uh, we're learning about him. Uh, so we didn't get to hear him, but I was playing at a fiddle contest uh, years later and I was going to play Tommy Boyle's reel. And so I just happened to mention, I said, Hey, does anybody out there know anything about Tommy Boyle? This really cool reel. And we heard he was a great fiddler and son of a gun. His like great granddaughter came up afterwards wow. and said, I couldn't believe you played that tune. I recognized it right away. And then you said, Tommy Boyle. I, and she says, guess what? I have an old cassette recording of his playing that was made from some, like he went to some record yourself record thing and, and, and recorded some, a bunch of tunes. And so <clears throat> she gave me a cassette copy of it, eventually digitalized it and, and uh, presented it to some fiddle campers. But the interesting thing was, is that, is that we found that his, the repertoire that he was playing was the exact same repertoire that we were been working on, that we knew every tune that he had been playing. And it kind of reinforced the idea that we were on the right track with the repertoire. So, uh, so here's three tunes from Maine with, with Doug on the, on the uh, piano here. Here we go. Doug, how about four potatoes on the piano?
<laughs> this has been such a wonderful time talking and, you know, just like in conclusion, yeah. the thing that strikes me over and over again, and it kind of goes back to the very beginning of this interview, when you're talking about how you learned and how you decided to revive these traditions or keep them going and start a dance tradition in Maine or keep going a dance tradition in Maine. And you mentioned all those people that you started it with. And I think just the, the whole main traditional music and dance scene is just a really good example of building community through dance and music and really bringing people together. And all those folks you mentioned in the beginning, you know, John Goller is like part of the Goller family band, which is a really important band. Yeah, Ellen Goller showed Ellen up Goller. years later, Greg Boardman. Yeah, that's started been, main fiddle camp. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, really, there was a, a core of us that, um, uh, you know, uh, Jeff McKean is another, uh, uh, and and Bob Childs when he was around in Maine, he helped get things uh, started by calling and getting bands going. And uh, you know, it takes it takes certain people to really sort of lead the way. And uh, so we had a core group of people. Once that got going. Uh, more and more bands started, and uh, it, it really took off. You know, I, I remember in 1976, I was convinced that this whole dance scene was going to take off like you wouldn't believe. And uh, uh, it was just, we, we, we got asked to play for, for Ralph Page at this gigantic uh, square dance uh, festival in Portland at the uh, Augusta Civic Center. They took over the whole Civic Center and had all these square dancers from all over the country in this big square mm -hmm. dance convention. And Ralph Page was featured, and they wanted a real contra dance band because he was going to like call a contra dance, even though it was like this square dance thing. They were going to, you know, do break their uh, with a little bit with their tradition and throw in a traditional contra dance. You know, we worked with another uh, Mainer uh, named Hilly Bailey who helped us a lot because he ran a square dance club and had his own log cabin dance hall that he'd have his club do dances at, and he used recordings. And when he heard that we were doing the, this these old-time country dances, contra dances and stuff, he wanted to introduce his folks to that, and he wanted the live music for it. And so he had us come and 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 play some contra dance music and he taught his square dancers some contra dances through us and, and we learned how to do the shotish through him so he was an important resource that uh, uh but a lot of us had the same influences um trying to think of uh, lane malkin was was uh there back then um and and uh, couple of members of Greg's band, but um, they've either moved away or one of them has passed away. So um, uh, Carter and Katie Newell uh, came mm -hmm. on the scene uh, uh, later in the 70s, early 80s, and uh, were real. And so those people are that I just mentioned, that we've mentioned, are actually the ones that um, started Main Fiddle Camp initially was was the same it was kind of a core group that represented the main country dance orchestra and other side bands old gray goose and all kinds of other bands and stuff um but we all were tied together sort of with the with the development of the dance scene 
and and then when a lot of people started having kids uh, uh, that uh, the idea of starting a fiddle camp uh, came to be about so that if we could pass it on to the next generation so that was like an instrument to allow us to do that and uh, so it, it's kept on and and done quite well and I've always tried to to emphasize that important connection of the fiddle music and the dancing and, and I know that's sort of the general theme of what you've got going here and uh, so that 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 I'm determined to not let die at fiddle camp uh, uh, because to me that that connection of the of the social dancing uh, not just step dancing necessarily step dancing is great too and another whole art form and uh, another whole thing to, that can be explored and and, and developed and uh, I'm hoping to have some full-time step dance teaching at mm -hmm. fiddle camp but uh, but the social dancing is um, that's really important uh, and I, I, I don't want people to forget that that they're playing dance tunes and they should always be played at a good dance tempo and with that old time danceability factor way up there. <laughs> That's right. And now dancing in Maine, you know, there's dances around the state and there's a lot of new people organizing, like new, relatively speaking, like, you know, Christy Fowler worked on the Belfast dance for a long time and Maggie Robinson. And like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to even make this a complete list and I'm not, I don't live in Maine, but I've gotten to know some of these folks playing and they, they kind of do this hybrid model where they'll have family dances and then they'll book out of town bands for contra dances at night. And so. Yes, I know of, it's, there's a standard formula now and it, it's not the formula. I mean, it's the same formula you'd probably find wherever you go at, to, in contra dance right. theme. And, and I always, I've, I've always been an advocate of, of decentralization. And to me, that's, that's, that's what's happened with the with the contra dances. It's become centralized in that there's right. one formula now. Right. Any uh, caller, any band can be put together and put together. Play any that's dance. that's the formula. Right. It's like boom, boom, and then it's contra, 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 contra. Maybe a waltz at the break, and then contra, 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 contra. Whereas right. ours was always, you know, like, you know, th this this shocked me. I mean, I I generally don't really play for the, for modern dance as much anymore the, those dances um I, I i've done that but uh i i get so much more pleasure out of uh playing and calling and 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 just playing my tunes for a, 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 another caller I, I i don't i don't feel the same energy i don't feel the same connection with musically with the crowd either it, 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 it's not the same like it was like it is if 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 there's this connection, I'm feeling a connection like we had in the old days. Um, yeah, or for better or for worse, the, the modern dancers are wanting to connect with something different, you know, and yeah. like different kinds of music. They have a different ear, different aesthetic, fancy arrangements, different kinds of tunes that go along with the different kinds of dances. And so yeah. and, and and I'm not opposed to creativity on the dance level. Uh, yeah. Although I wouldn't want a whole evening of it. I mean, we, we used to do some of that innovation right. and some of that newness. Um, right. So the question is, what is that essence that is the common thread between all these kinds of dance where the music and the dance like support each other so that we can avoid having a split between these two different styles where 
you know, the dancers are unfamiliar with one and it feels like there's two different worlds, you know, it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's just so wonderful to hear all your stories and thoughts and experiences and you're just enthusiasm is contagious. It's made me so happy to listen back to all these stories and think about dancing and brought me right back there to the dance floor. So thank you for that, Doug. You bet. You know, I have, I have some vi video uh, maybe that I could share or, or, or some absolutely some recordings or something like that. So um, after this we'll, or at some point I can send you some stuff, but it, you know, what, what are, people often ask, I noticed one of your questions was, you know, what, what, what was your, your greatest moment during for doing dances and stuff. And uh, I, I've been asked that before. And one of the things I say is, well, well, for any sort of occasion where I'm, I'm uh, dealing with people that don't know about the music and the dancing, and I'm, I'm sharing this with them the first time and getting them to dance up a storm and have a blast when they know absolutely nothing about it. That is always unbelievably fulfilling. Uh, so much more fulfilling than playing for uh, experienced dancers because you, you you are creating new excitement for people and they really get it and they really dance and you and I feel that connect they feel the connection and and that's so satisfying but but uh, um, I was lucky enough to to be part of uh, uh, thirteen international cultural exchange tours with the State Department uh over the last 20 years uh and well not recently last not the last five years but prior to that for 15 years we did we did almost every year at least one international tour where we would take our the our music and dancing our american traditional music and dancing to other countries and collaborate with other countries traditional music and dancing and 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 sort of share that on stage and uh i i will get you this video clip um we were in the country of uh kyrgyzstan touring mm -hmm. with a kyrgyzstan mu musician band group folk musician group and we learned this tune from them and the last night we had a party with with the uh people that we've been working with, the musicians and the State Department people and the Kyrgyzstan people that we've been working with. And we had a party and we had learned this, this cute little tune from Kyrgyzstan. And I made up a contra dance to it that night hmm. and got everybody in the party, including all these Kyrgyzstan people to do the dance. And in Kyrgyzstan, in a lot of those Muslim countries, and stuff they dance with their hands as well as their their feet and their body and so when i made up the dance to go with the tune the kyrgyz people added their kyrgyz dance moves to it and it was like this perfect perfect envision of cultural exchange at its greatest and its finest moment. And it was the dancing that really literally brought everybody together to share mm -hmm. something. Where else do we have that in our country where, 
where a, a music unites everybody and we're all doing something together. Uh, is there anything like that? There isn't. It's a huge void in our culture. It's horrible. I thought, you know, back in the 70s, I thought everybody would figure out this is great for everybody. We should all be doing this type of dancing and, and celebrating this type of culture. Um, but yeah, it hasn't it's happened. important and we've got to keep it going. Well, yeah, we're keeping, we're doing very, what we can and it's all, right. it's all good in the end. So really, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not really complaining. I'm just, you know, wishing that things had gone a little differently and maybe they, they will still in the future. So things that are looking a little better overall. So maybe it'll look better for the dance scene and the music in the future. I, I know there's a lot of great musicians coming up and uh, a lot of creativity out there. So and I think at places like Maine Fiddle Camp, there's entire generations of kids who are growing yep. up in this. I mean, every year it gets bigger. There's 300 something people there and there's kids everywhere. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned Katie Newell and now her kids and her kids' kids go there. They're growing up, you know, That's right. kids running around in the dirt, taking beginner fiddle class at age four or five. And, you know, and, I think. And her kids are teaching at fiddle camp. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's. Uh, so whatever I'm talking about, I'm doing it at fiddle camp. There's no question about that. And, uh, it, it works, it works great. Uh, it's a wonderful formula, the dances and the music and playing for the dances at fiddle camp. The magic is definitely there then. It so. is. It is. Well, thank you, Doug. This has been so wonderful. I really appreciate you talking with us. You bet. Glad to do it. I love the CDSS. They do great work. Always have. I love uh, being in partnership with them with our nonprofit as well. So. Thanks for listening to ContraPulse. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams. Thanks to Great Meta Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orzakowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit contrapulse.cdss.org for more info. Happy dancing!